Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Say what needs to be said. It's your boy Asante, Mr. Pick Six Samuel, back with another episode. Lamar Jackson, like I said in my previous episode, I like to compare Lamar Jackson to Allen Iverson. They both are streaky players, playing in streaks. You know, sometimes hot and other times cold. But against the Lions, Lamar Jackson was Allen Iverson in 2001. If y'all don't remember when Allen Iverson led the Sixers to the NBA championship, that's what Lamar Jackson reminded me of against the Lions. He was phenomenal. He looked beautiful out there. He looked poised. He looked like he was commanding the offense. He looked like he is ready to lead this team to glory, right? But this is one of those games, no matter what you did to Lamar Jackson, he couldn't be stopped. All of his God-given abilities were on full display. I mean, his arm, his legs, his speed, man, everything. But let me tell you what the difference is. The difference in this game, what I've seen as Lamar Jackson's approach to other, other games is he looked to pass first. You hear that? Lamar Jackson looked to pass first and run second. And when he used his greatest asset, it wasn't to run to, to make more yards. He was using his legs to extend plays and give his receivers a chance to get open, right? When the pressure's on, he was feeling the pressure from the left to the right up the middle, but he was very, very poised, right? He didn't look to just run and take off. He didn't panic. He would extend the plays by backing up and moving forward or moving left and moving right. And then if, I need, if he needed to take off, he would take off. But he was being very productive. He was gelling with his offense that come, is coming together very, very smooth. 343 yards and three TDs was his best game in a long time, especially last year, right? He threw for more, for more yards than any game he had last year. We know last year he was going through a lot, and he only played, what, about six games? You know, he was going through injury. He was going through the contract situation. So we know a lot that he was going through. But, but Todd Monken is a... He put together a good game plan. It's, it, it seems like Todd Munkin understands exactly who Lamar Jackson is and how to use him effectively, right? Because that game plan against the Lions, it, man, it gelled and it was beautiful. I mean, rolling out to the left, rolling out, you know, bootleg, right? Quarterback draws, high low. Are you high low on the defense, the safeties and the receiver? I remember the number 31. What is his name? Uh, I can't forget it. The name Robinson or something like that. He bit on the high low and Lamar Jackson threw it right behind him and replaced it. And it was, it was a beautiful display in, in that first half, especially, man. I was, I was very impressed with Lamar. But we all played Madden. I haven't played in Madden in a long time. Lamar Jackson, he was a 99 on Madden in every category against the Lions. Every category. I'm talking about agility, awareness, accuracy, speed, toughness. I mean, you name it, being a winner, everything. I haven't played in a while. So whatever categories Matt started with to now, he is 99 in, in every category, right? Now here, you heard it here first. I don't know who said it first, but you heard it here most recent and say what needs to be said. If Lamar Jackson continues to play to this level of consistency moving forward, he will be the leading candidate for the most valuable player in the NFL. The MVP race will be sold up because Lamar Jackson is awesome. You know, all the top teams and people that maybe uh, your front runners for the MVP, you know, the Miami Dolphins, you got two and the Tyreek, then you got San Fran. Uh, there's a lot of time left for Lamar Jackson to make his stamp on this year and, 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 and show the lead that, you know, he can can be the most valuable player. It's enough time. The schedule has, has enough quality games. 
And it's enough time. You know, I think, what, at five and two after the day, four and two, whatever. So it's enough time for him to show, right? But we can't, we can't also forget about the Ravens' defense because they was phenomenal as well. You know, they was all over the place collectively as a team, just uh, overwhelming the Lions' offense, right? They gave them hell, only giving up six points. Now, when you give up six points in the NFL against anybody, as an awesome game. And I, we know they could have gave up zero points. But once you have a 35-point lead, it's not too much you can do, right? But he gave up six points. Then Jared Goff didn't have any answers specifically in the first half. I mean, that first half, like I said, it was like the Baltimore Ravens were in postseason form the way they played. And it was amazing because no, he didn't have an answer. They couldn't do anything. And even if, he, if, if they did a little something, it was just like cut down immediately, right? Then all of a sudden, he seemed to be who we thought they would be, the Lions, the old Lions. Because we, we hear all the hype and we know Aaron Rodgers is gone and now they are, are, are leading the division. So we, we're running with this hype. Are they who we think they are, right? Because Jared and Offense couldn't do much on, you know, the Ravens um, in the first half when they were able... But but when they were able to make positive plays, they, they couldn't convert them to touchdowns. So anytime, what is the first half and the second half, they would get anything positive going, they couldn't convert it to, to touchdowns or field goals. You know, they, they had a couple of times they went for a fourth down and stuff like that, but they couldn't convert. The Ravens' defense basically looked too big and physical for the Lions. It was just a, a physical, physically dominant match on one side of the ball. Yeah, you might have gained a lot of yards and, you know, been productive, but when it counted on third down, four for 14 or five for 14 or something like that. So that's what I mean. When it counted, when it was time to score a touchdown, when it was time to get a first down, the Raven defense knew situational football. They knew how to play and fly around and make plays. The Ravens are deeply, they have deeply rooted tradition about playing defense. So you never have to worry about the defense not coming to play football as a Raven because that's never going to happen. That, that's in their blood no matter where you come from and draft it there. This, it's, 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 in a, it's, it's, in, it's in the air. It's in the atmosphere. But are the Lions playing a serious trick on us? Are they this good team that we think they are? Or did they just have a good run? It's no doubt in my mind that they will make the playoffs because of the schedule. It's easy to overcome their schedule, like I say, with Aaron Rodgers going and the Bears and you know, you know, probably one of the easiest divisions out, right? But I don't see anything stopping them from making the playoff. But that's just one part of it. But I can see them advancing based on the teams that they got to play and the schedule. So I, I see them making the playoffs. But if they make it to the playoffs, yeah, you consider a, a, a team that makes it to the playoffs a good team. But just because you make it to the playoffs, are you really a good team? If the schedule and the, and the division is set up for you, that's what it seems like for the Lions, right? I want to see. I want to see. Like I said, no doubt in my mind that they're going to make it to the playoffs. But what would they do when they make it to the playoffs? And I can't see them moving past the first round, right? I, I see. I can see the Lions losing four or five more games. You know, I think they'll be one of the overrated teams in the NFL, in the NFC, right? But definitely a different team than last year. But I don't know if they deserve top five respect. Like maybe I said previously or, or other people, because this game right here was a was a, a real game and a tough game against a good opponent to show that you are ready to compete. And they wasn't able to show that against the Ravens. They were running division, like I said, but 
After that, I don't see the Lions making too much noise. We got the Cleveland Browns and the Indianapolis Colts, right? We wanted to see the Cleveland Browns go out and dominate. We wanted to see Deshaun Watson back from injury doing his thing. You know, it was it was highly anticipated because of those reasons, especially Deshaun Watson, right? But then we got Gardner, Mishu, gave the Browns a surprise challenge, nothing they was expecting. He came ready to play, and he came ready to win, trying to win. He putting full effort in. Young quarterback, this high draft pick, he's out, and I have my opportunity to come in. So he came in saying, this is my opportunity to win, to come show the NFL that I belong, and I'm, I'm going to always keep me a job, right? But it's hard to have a game plan against an aggressive front four like the Browns have. They are very aggressive. They get off the ball. They're big, physical, strong. They have long wingspans. They're freakish, right? All, all of them, right? But you have to prepare to get the ball out quickly and not because they, they bring a blitz package. It's because of Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett in game, right? They're getting off, the, they getting off that ball and they're coming off humming. They're not sending a bunch of blitzes to beat you with their defense. They're beating you with the front four. They're going to let the front four do all the destruction uh, to your offense. So that's an advantage for the Cleveland Browns. You can sit back in coverage and let this front four go to work. But Gardner, he was not afraid of the challenge. And he actually has a little bit of swag to him, right? And his confidence is just like nobody else. He has a lot of confidence, right? And he is not scared to make a plate to make a mistake or try to go for the big play. I didn't see any of that in him, right? This guy, this, this man, Gardner, came in and did a, a pretty good job against a really good defense, right? So I, I know in his Apple's coach have to say we have something to work, work with because, you know, that was a great performance. He has confidence. He has guts. He has heart. And, you know, he has the ability to win. And then he found a weapon with Josh Downs, right? He showed up big for Gardner, right, with over 100 yards. I think it had like 125. And then you had Michael Pittman Jr. with the big play. And he went 75 yards for a TD. And that was one of those plays where, you know, you catch the ball and the secondary is just kind of out of it. And then you just slip out of there and go for 75, 75 yards. And, that was, and the secondary missed some crucial tackles, right? Those one of those plays that have the coach up at night and can't sleep. Like, how did he get through this and why are we still giving up these big plays, right? And the big plays, like I told y'all about big plays, the team should have a goal of only three big plays per game. And, you know, that's the goal you, you want to try to reach. Will you reach it all the time? No, but you have something to go for as a team, right? And then when you, when you accomplish these goals, you celebrate as a team. That's how you bring the bond together and things like that. But let me explain it to you again. Big plays are plays, any play over 20 yards. But it's hard to have a good defense giving up more than three or four big plays. So that's why that is a stipulation in the league. It's kind of a rule all over, you know, on defense. Don't give up the big plays. Because big plays lead into touchdowns. And we don't want to give up touchdowns. That's the main objective. We don't want to give up a touchdown. We give up a field goal if we have to, but we don't want to give up a touchdown. But that 75-yard touchdown is one of those plays, like I said, that have you up at night, can't sleep, drinking coffee, you know, have you uh, taking one last shot of that Hennessy because you're tired of giving up big plays and you don't understand why we didn't make that tackle. But let me tell you, playing in the dome, going from natural grass is not the same. It's something about playing in the domes, going from natural grass and have to come into this new environment. 
It feels unusual if you're not used to it. You feel you feeling not like yourself, unable to run and plant your feet in the ground like you're used to, feeling, you know, feeling the, the different feelings of tackling and hitting when you're falling on the on the rug, because it feels like a rug, it feels like a hard ground. So it's something you have to adjust to mentally and physically. So I, I think that has a lot of issues with 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 the Cleveland Browns when they had to come into this, come and play, you know, the Colts. You know, I'm making no excuses. I'm just telling you by experience, because that it is definitely a different experience coming from the grass to the dome. You know, the loud, the loud noise is right there whether it's cold or hot. But I say, like I say, we wouldn't, we had to figure out whether we wanted to wear regular tennis shoes or, or cleats. You know, that's how confusing it was. Now, everybody kind of wearing cleats and they understand now, but I just wanted to give y'all a little brief, a brief uh, run on that, uh, the turf. But let's talk about Deshaun Watson, right? It was his first game back after injury. Let's just say he was not ready. I think his first pass attempt was a screen pass and it looked as if he was pushing the ball, not throwing it, in his normal way, like he was still being affected by, uh, you know, whatever had him on the sideline. Then he attempts another pass to a guy that is open, but Watson held the ball and threw it late. And it ended up being an interception to Julian Blackman, right? And that was a play that I think Deshaun Watson could have made or he should have made. Then his last play of the game was just terrible all around, right? It looked like his shoulder injury may be affecting him mentally and physically, right? Because I'm not seeing the confident Deshaun Watson that we're used to seeing. I'm seeing a different version of Deshaun Watson, right? And for some people, it's hard to remain and stay focused after landing that big contract and, and having all those distractions they have to deal with, right? Because you work so hard and your objective is to get that main contract to take care of your family. But then when you get it, what are you going to do for your legacy after you get it? Because the money is there. Now, I have to have a little pride about myself that I want to prepare and go out here and make sure that I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm not going to let my team down, right? Because Deshaun Watson has a good chance to do something good with this team. This is a really good team, but they need him. I mean, they need him bad, right? If they want to do these, uh, these big things, right? But I hope he get his mind right and come back ready to take the Browns to the next level because they got... Everything in place, the defense, the run game, special teams, you know, everything is in place. Everything the Brown needs, they just need Deshaun Watson to command that quarterback position and lead them how he knows how to lead a football team. All right. Now, how about those Patriots? Patriots went out there and played some good football, the good old fashioned Patriot way. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Like I always said, a bad coach can ruin a good quarterback. And this may be the situation for Matt Jones. And I guess the best example would be hiring Matt Patricia to lead Matt Jones in offense a few years ago. We all know about that. That's well documented. But Matt Jones proves he can be a lead quarterback when he has the players out there to make plays and the offensive line to protect him and give him time to do what he got to do. But I'm not holding Matt accountable for any of his mishaps in the past. I'm starting right now. What is this, week eight, week seven? Right now, I'm starting right now. The, when, week, when week seven started and he went out there and executed against the Bills, I'm, I'm evaluating Mac Jones from then, right? I have to restart my evaluation because I feel like it, it's not fair how he's been handled in the past. And now he has a fair opportunity. Now, I'm hoping Bill Belichick now has no choice but to put players out there that can play on the field, you know, because of injuries or whatever, you know, uh, the pressure from Mr. Kraft or the fans. But something that has to transform transpire right we got this kid demario douglas who 
was a difference maker. Demario Douglas is a difference maker, and he needs a permanent spot on the field. So he and Matt Jones can continue to develop more and more chemistry. That kid is electrifying. He's pretty good. Very athletic, you know, very dependable, right? I said it before. What is the difference between, I like to make comparisons. What is the difference between Demario Douglas and Julian Edelman? And skill set, you know what I mean? I think, I think Demario has the edge, but he needs a chance to showcase his talent and skills. You know, I know this sounds crazy and it may be a crazy take to you guys because of Julian Edelman's success and, you know, all those things. But Demario can play just as well. He just needs the ball. You know, you may say that because, like I said, of Julian Edelman's success, a lot of people have the talent and aren't able to showcase it because timing or, or you know, everything didn't come to fruition so they can make it to the NFL or play at the top level. So there's a lot of talented people all over the world that we have never seen play before. But we got a small glimpse of what the Patriots offense used to look like when they had Tom Brady under the center. They did really, really excellent against the Bills. Very proud of the Patriots, right? They had good protection from the offensive line, positive run plays uh, from uh, Ramadre Stevenson. I, I love I love that young man uh, running the ball. Matt Jones getting the ball out quick and playing good Patriot defense, good Belichick football. You know, that's the way it should be. But you got to put the players on them. You got to put the players out there as, as we see. You know, you can't just say you want to sign these guys and everybody's a robot and you think you can put people in position to be successful. No, this is the NFL where you need these athletes and the top players because everybody and every team is trying to stack their team with the best players. So the Patriots can't be no different. But don't sleep on Mac. Don't sleep on Mac, I'm telling you, man. Don't fault him for, for a lot of these things in the past because you can't imagine what he's going through dealing with Belichick and his mess. It's, it's a lot of things you go through when, you, when you're drafting and you're playing for the Patriots. It's like you got to play against your pony, got to play against the coach, you know, all those good things. So don't fault him, man. He's, he's going through a lot. But only time to tell him the cream rise to the top, right? Is that how you say it? <laughs> but he will rise to the top, man. Yeah, give him a chance, right? But for Matt Jones, I got to go back a little bit a couple weeks ago. But for Matt Jones, for him having to watch Jacoby Myers play for the opposing team last week or a couple weeks ago, yeah, I had to really bother him, you know, because Jacoby Myers was 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 making a difference in the game, and it could have made a difference for the Patriots as and, and they're making it, and he was making a difference for Oakland Raiders when Matt Jones was just throwing the ball to him. So I know that had to really bother him. I know that was an awful feeling and awful to see as he's making a difference for another team, the Oakland Raiders, right? And then Matt receivers just dropping the football, hurting his legacy as he's trying to show that he can win games and come back. And, and uh, if he's down, he can, you know, have, he has the, uh, the will to win the game. But he had to watch his ex-receiver be on another team and help them win against his team. Like, I know that had to bother him. Man. I just had to bring that up, man. But we all know in this, you know, everybody's talking about it. Like, you know, Belichick would rather give contracts to outsiders rather than the inside, the, you know, inside the, the facilities, the people that's been there with him grinding. He'd rather give it to, to somebody he have no dealing with just to make a point. Maybe because you didn't take the contract that he offered. You turned it down. You asked for maybe a million dollars more, two million dollars more, right? So that's the situation. You know, you, you give this same contract to somebody else 
when when Jacoby Myers is right there. I mean, I, all that all of that is just a bunch of mess. And you got Matt Jones in the middle of it, and Jacoby Myers is supposed to be a threat for Matt Jones, and he's not, right? And now we got another situation. Why isn't Bailey Zappi being mentioned as the backup or the guy up next? What happened to him? Last season, he came in and did really good. He did a really good job. It's a, it seems like another player that Bill Belichick wants to disappear. Why is this man like this? Bailey Zappi is clearly, clearly the, the, shouldn't be the backup quarterback. You know what I mean? And now we don't know what's going on. You're not hearing from him. And that's the way Belichick operates. And that's the things that we, we, we got to get rid of those, those things, man, because, you know, it's not fair, right? It's hard to play for a coach that brings this type of energy week after week. There's no motivation, no inspiration, nothing to make you feel good about yourself being a football player and then playing for the Patriots, right? That's the atmosphere you're dealing with when you're playing for Bill Belichick. Have you ever heard any motivational speeches from, from Bill Belichick that made you want to go play football or just run through a wall or something like that? I haven't even heard any that I played for him in five years, so I'm sure y'all never heard of it, you know what I mean? Anything I hear is, a, is I hear a stubborn, grouchy old man stuck in his ways, right? When he speaks, that's all you hear. You, you, know, uh, you know, just recently he's starting to come out and show a little emotion and stuff like that. Uh, you know, short in spurts, I guess. But Dante, uh, shout out to Dante Scarnecchio. Let me say that, uh, shall I say it right? Um, you know, shout out to him. Uh, and, you know, Bill Belichick had to let those emotions out of him because, you know, he's been a, a good rider for, for Belichick. And, you know, Belichick got a lot of respect for him. But like I said, like I said, you know, moving on, moving on. I want to make this loud and clear. I, this has to be loud and clear because it's been too long and we know we're dealing with a, a stubborn coach. Belichick cannot be responsible for the next draft. I repeat, Belichick cannot be responsible for the next draft or the next quarterback. The way he viewed players and want to build a team can never work again. It's not possible. Tom Brady is gone. And just listen to the way he want to build players. You know, we wanted a tough, hard-nosed, blue-collar football team. And that's, that's what Cleveland is, and that's what we wanted our football team to be. That's Bill Belichick, man. That's, that's what he want. So what y'all think about those Dolphins? Are they for real? Are they pretenders? Let's talk about it. Here's my opinion. If you think the Dolphins aren't for real, you better think again. Because the Philadelphia Eagles team is a great team. Although the two losses the Dolphins have on his records are by teams with winning records, the Bills and the Eagles. Dolphin victories are by teams with losing records, right? But the team can win a lot of games in the NFL, but I'm not sure about a championship. They will always be a scary team to face no matter who you are and what team you are because speed kills and they got a lot of speed and we all know that. So they're going to always be a scary team to face, right? But I have a lot of questions for Tua Tonga Valor. I still have questions and I'm not sure if he can be successful when everyone is expecting to pass. So basically when you got to come back against a good team, right? RPOs and the quick passes aren't the best calls when you're playing from behind and the opposing defense are playing the best defense to defend the pass. So that's my question for two. I, you know, I've seen he had a few good comebacks, but we all know that these comebacks and things like that, these wins are from uh, teams with losing records. So I still have questions, and this was the opportunity for him to show that, right? The Dolphins is a team that is designed to start fast, right? But if you can get them to slow down and make them pay at your tempo, 
It makes them uncomfortable. It makes things uncomfortable for the Dolphins because they like things their way. They're used to just going out there, slinging the ball, dialing up their cute plays that they think just are so great and executing like mad. So if you slow them down and say, hey, you're going to slow down, you're going to play at our tempo, it, it, it bothers them a little bit. It takes them out of their, their swag and their comfort zone, right? But if you take a look at the teams they played and the margin of victory can tell you the story for, for the Dolphins, right? The Chargers by two, even though it was the first game. The Patriots by seven. Um, then, you know, the Carolina Panthers, they you know, beat them by like 14, 17 points. But, you know, they got like one win, one, one win. They got the rookie quarterback. So it's not a promising team. It's not a, a competitive team in the NFL. So, you know, there's a little story behind this, right? I wouldn't put my money on Tua to close the game in the fourth quarter against a, a good team. I wouldn't bet that Tua is going to come out with this victory when it's in the fourth quarter and the game is on the line and he down by seven points, right? Like I said, team dialing up the great defense and the best defense to defend the pass. I want to see Tua be able to overcome that, right? I want to see more of those moments and him handling them better that he was in those situations with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Because these are the moments that defines a quarterback. When it's a close game, the game is on the line and it's the fourth quarter and and your legacy is on the line, what are you going to do? Are you going to fold? Or are you going to bend? Or are you going to make the play? Are you going to be there for your team, right? Because, you know, that's what the quarterback position is about in the NFL. That's what made Tom Brady so great, being able to overcome and deal with adversity in the game, during the game, after the game, whatever. But Tua didn't have an easy challenge, and no challenge is easy in the NFL. The front seven or the front four of Philly and Hassan Reddick made things really uncomfortable against the Dolphins, right? Philly was the more physical team on the field, and speed versus a physical team, we know the outcome. The more physical team wins. The finesse, fast team, you know, that's good to win games and all that stuff. But when it's time to actually win those hard games, you need a physical team, right? But the Dolphins are actually a physical team. But Philly front four is just something special. They can do a lot of things with that front four. I'm not taking nothing away from the Dolphins because they are definitely physical, but they rely more on speed, right? This is, the, this is an impressive win for the Eagles and gives the Eagles the confidence they need moving forward when they're facing big challenge or, or a lot of hype, right? Because I'm sure this was a, a, a big game in the meeting rooms and everybody was hyped up and, and pumped and psyched talking about this game. So this was a confidence booster. It showed them that they are, you know, back to their Super Bowl winning mentality and atmosphere over there. And, um, you know, they're doing a great job, man. Shout out to Big Play Slay coming up with a big play at the end of the game or towards the end of the game. But, you know, at the end of the day, Jalen Hurts is a winner. No matter what situation he's in or the adversity he has to overcome, he's a winner, right? He's a big physical quarterback that wills his team to victory. Each and every week just continues to do it. Not the perfect way, not maybe how you like to see it, the tush push uh, running up the hole because he's very big and physical. He can do it all. He's the perfect quarterback for the Eagles and offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson. But they are just getting started. So give them a lot of time, right? As they continue to learn each other and grow, uh, this offense will be a force to deal with in the future and hurts winning ways will continue. So watch out for the Eagles, man. Say what needs to be said. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.